Hey y'all, it's Andrew Ferrier. Today on The Snake's Paw, we're presenting The Medium is the Murder by Matthew Morris. Hello, and welcome to the 50th episode of The Medium is the Murder. We are your hosts, Mark Stein, Cameron LeBlanc, and Eliza Wood. And a shout out to all of our listeners tuning in live for our very first live recording. Absolutely. Hmm. Thanks for being on the front lines of watching us royally screw this up live <laughs> and uncensored. We've always wanted to try out live broadcasts since live media reportage is so central to some of the cases we've discussed. And what better time than the Big Five O? We've been doing the podcast for about two years, so we're long overdue. We also have a very special discussion lined up for today, one we've been holding back. Some of you can probably guess. But before we get into today's topic, we wanted to take a few minutes to look back on our run up till now and reflect on some of our past episodes. So we each picked one episode that stood out to us, one we really liked or found formative to our understanding of the show. Who wants to start? I can go first. How about? Okay. So we've talked about serial killers a lot, obviously. They're just so much fun. But for me, the one that really stood out that kind of, I don't know, encapsulated our thoughts about it was episode 37. When we compared the reality of serial killers, we're talking actual behavior and stats to how they're presented on the news and especially in fiction. Uh, right. Sexy Anthony Hopkins. That episode single-handedly, and honestly, I mean this is a good thing, it weaned me off of my obsession with serial killers. <laughs> they seem almost boring to me now. Well, most of them. It also, more than any other episode, made me think about how complicit we are in all of this. Our fascination with crime and how we help contribute to disseminating this stuff and shape how people think about it. It's our bread and butter. Mark, you want to go next? Sure. So I had to go with our 9-11 episode. Oh, God. <laughs> Where I discussed the notion of 9-11 being a work of performance art. A brilliant piece of performance art, I think, is how you phrased it. Credit where credit is due. Basically making the argument that unlike most terrorist attacks, which were loud and violent and not much else, the 9-11 attack was carefully conceived and orchestrated on a, for lack of a better word, an artistic level. 9-11 corresponding to 9-1-1, the towers resembling the number 11, targeting an emblem of capitalism, timing it to the second impact was guaranteed, live coverage. We are still getting hate mail over that one. Over a year later. <laughs> and the point I was trying to make that... Something doesn't have to be morally sound to be conceptually brilliant. And it's designed to have exactly the kind of impact it had. All right, let's move on before my PTSD kicks in, Cameron. I went with kind of a low-key episode, but one that really stuck with me. What you might call our suicide as spectacle episode. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. We cover a lot of ground from the protest suicides of the 60s to performative suicides on TV like Christine Chubbuck. That impulse to broadcast our violence and anguish has always been a core theme of the show. Which leads pretty nicely into our subject for today's episode. We've gotten more fan inquiries and requests about it than any other crime. It's the elephant in the room because we've never actually discussed it, even avoided bringing it up in passing, but it's hovered over us from the get-go. We're talking, of course, about the Anna Tribolt case, which happened here in Greenville. And frankly, it was probably the driving force behind us starting this podcast. It hit so close to home and had us all thinking, wanting to hash out and try to understand what happened, especially since the case remains unsolved three years later. Exactly. 
And it felt wrong talking about it too soon, exploitative, maybe, which is a concern even now, especially since people who knew her are almost certainly listening and we wanted time to process it. And we hope the podcast would be a way to deal with that, to approach that indirectly, I guess. And maybe give us the, I don't know, the experience, the, the vocabulary to do it justice. Mm-hmm. Plus, as time went on, we thought there might be developments that would lend the case and those involve some closure, but it never came. And now it's almost weird that we've never mentioned it. So it feels like time for our 50th episode to finally broach the subject and take it head on. For those who may not know. And for some, the details might be fuzzy. We're going to lay down the basic facts of the case. Anna Tribble was born and raised here in Greenville. She graduated from West Greenville High. Go Hawks. And at the time of her death at 19, she was attending Hardner Community College and working as a hostess at Shayla Penn. According to her family and friends, her favorite pastime was horseback riding and her favorite movies were 10 Things I Hate About You and A Nightmare on Elm Street. She was studying to become a pharmacist. The murder took place in Bergdorf Park the night of March 15th, 2018 at about 10.15 p.m. The crime rapidly achieved notoriety because the incident was live streamed on social media. While only about two dozen people were viewing the feed, the footage soon went viral, making national headlines and causing an uproar here in Greenville, which lasted for several months. Although even now, you can feel the reverberations. Yeah. Despite attracting so much media attention, the footage yielded no real leads. The assailant... Or assailants. ...were not captured on camera. The footage is too dark and shaky to make much out. It's the audio that stayed with me. All you can really see is Anna, before the attack, laughing and asking the person with her phone, what should I do? The live stream was recorded using Anna's phone and social media accounts, but someone else was holding it. Right, so you can see her before the attack. You can hear her scream off camera during the attack. And the aftermath. They zoom in on her while she's dying and the footage goes blurry. The phone was recovered near the body. She seemed to know her assailant based on her laughter and the fact that she trusted the person with her phone, but no one could think who might have done it. The primary suspect was a recent ex, but they were reportedly still on good terms, and he turned out to have an airtight alibi. A few odd details about the case. For one, there's no clear motive. And if it was a random assault, like why would she hand out her phone? But the weirdest detail for me, and which a lot of people found troubling, was the date. She was stabbed to death on the Ides of March, which feels... Planned? Yeah, like a sick joke. While it made major news, it was especially unsettling for people who live here. Greenville isn't a very big city. To have something so heartless happen here so seemingly arbitrary. You hear about these things online. They happen far away in other places. There's something abstract about it. That's what got me and Cameron talking about all this and prompted us to get in touch with you after reading your blog, because hearing about something like this is such a radically different experience from knowing about it, from being connected to the people involved. And live streaming violence was already a thing, and it's only become more common since then. Suicides, assaults, sexual assaults, other murders like the Bianca Devins case about a year later. And it seems, I'm generalizing here, but bear with me. It seems like some of these people are committing crimes and thinking, hey, we should live stream it, which is like saying, hey, bro, let's create more evidence to implicate us. But some of these crimes feel like they were committed specifically for the sake of streaming them and getting attention. Which we discussed in episode um, Mm, 23. Yeah. If anyone wants a more in-depth take on that. Sure. I bring it up because the Tribble case, and this is purely my intuition at work here, feels more like the latter. Maybe. 
The weird thing is, you never hear Tribolt's attacker during the live stream footage, and that's odd. If you've seen other videos like this, which we have, probably too many, but you're almost always hearing the perpetrators. They're joking, participating, talking about all the likes and responses they're getting. It's fueled by this stream of feedback. It's it kind of high they seem to get. Whereas in the Tribble case, you don't hear anything except some shuffling around and the attack. It's chilling. It feels more calculated. People getting off on that attention is chilling in its own way. <laughs> oh, sure. But I, I know what you mean. You can sort of understand someone getting caught up in the moment, getting excited, as grotesque as that is. But when it's more deliberate, like you said, calculated. Of course, we've theorized over this stuff before. What we want to do today, since this is the only crime that gives us the opportunity to do this, is hold that theory, the ideas we've discussed throughout this podcast, up to the actual experience of dealing with something like this on a local and even interpersonal level. Because even if you didn't know her, and I can't recall ever meeting her, there's still this ripple effect through the community. On the positive side, it brings people together, it makes people appreciate each other more. Though it also breeds suspicion, makes people more guarded, especially with folks they don't know. I remember for a while, people were afraid there might be another attack. True. It's also surreal because you read about this in the Washington Post and in HuffPost opinion articles and you know, on subreddits and you're like, this happened in the park down the mm. road from my house. Somehow it makes the whole thing less t tangible than a regular crime, less immediate. Mm, because it feels like it happened everywhere and not just here. That's an interesting way of putting it. And it has to be especially surreal for you, Eliza, because you actually knew her. I, I wouldn't say I knew her, but yeah, we'd met. I had a coworker who knew her. We met at a party. I would see her around town occasionally. What was that like? I mean, what was it like when you heard? How, how did you react? Like I said, we weren't close, barely even acquaintances. So I didn't have a strong emotional reaction. I can only imagine what this was like for her family and friends. But it obviously had a huge impact on my life. Beyond its effects on the community, it got me and Cameron talking about this whole dynamic violence and the media, how it shapes us and how we respond to it, which led to you in this podcast, which is basically my life now. So, yeah, its impact was largely intellectual, weird as that sounds, but it had a major influence on me. You know, I met Anna once. Wait, Really? I don't think you've ever mentioned that to me. Oddly enough, it was on the day she died. Are you... Are you messing with me? Is he messing with me? No, no, he's for real. I can't tell if y'all are having me on. No, you wouldn't lie on the show like that, but... Christ, that's a hell of a bombshell to drop on me while we're alive. How come you never mentioned it before? We were waiting for the right time. God. So, what happened? How did how'd you meet? Just... Bumped into each other on the street. We were walking down Madison that night. Wait, what, we? Oh, I, I was with him. Uh, you saw her that day too? And you never... Y'all are blowing my mind. Listeners, I had no idea. We bumped into her on Madison. She had just gotten off work and we mentioned that we were heading to Brian's place. My old co-worker who, which who knew her. was right on the other side of the park. So she tagged along. We had a bottle of Jack with us and we were passing it around, getting a little drunk. And we chilled in the park for a minute. And Eliza said... We should let Brian and them know you're coming. She was going to text him, but Eliza convinced her that we should live stream our journey to Brian's house. Maybe get some more people to show up. Okay, 
Guys, she gave this, me her phone. This is not I funny. I started I, the I live stream, our li- our and she laughed and said, "What should I do?" Like and Eliza pointed the camera at the ground, the two of you. and I, I stabbed her I'm... twenty-seven times in the abdomen and twice in the neck. Mind you, I wasn't keeping count. That's just what the police report said. <laughs> I I can't believe this. I am. This is disgusting. I'd like to go on the record now saying I had no part in this sick stunt. I had no clue. Of course, it wasn't as convenient as all that. We didn't just bump into her. There was no get together at Brian's. It was carefully arranged and she was handpicked because we knew enough about her to plan it. But no one would connect us with the murder. Are you serious? And the like, Ides of March, that was just a like, gag, really, an Easter egg for people who look for that kind of thing. Like you, Mark. But only 20 viewers on the live stream? I mean, the media response was better than we could have hoped. That was exactly the kind of publicity we needed. See, Anna was just a trial run. 20 viewers was not going to cut it. That's that's it. I'm leaving. I'm not going to sit here and... Mark. Oh, Christ. He has a, he has a gun. <laughs> He has a gun to anyone listening here in Greenville. This is not a joke. I don't, I don't, I don't think they're joking. Someone please contact the police. We are at five, two, three, nine. For a minute, our listeners can't hear what I have to say. Enough. That's better. Like I said, 20, that was just a warm up. We wanted a real audience, a bigger stage. So we started thinking, what's the best way to parlay this? How do we pump up our numbers? We wouldn't be able to get much media attention without confessing, but of a catch-22. And then we found your blog. What a godsend. Of course, true crime. People eat that stuff up. But Eliza thought of the media angle. That was the masterstroke, the coup de grace. A podcast about the kind of crime we were planning to commit. So we got in touch. You know the rest, of course, but it went beautifully. We were banking on a lot of local traction because of Tribble, but we never knew how popular we'd get, how far we'd reach. And we have you to thank for that. You brought so much passion and professionalism to the project. Honestly, you ought to be proud. We made a really good podcast. I don't even think we could have anticipated how perfectly this would all play out. You contributed so much without knowing. We basically created a textbook for people to understand the crime we're going to commit using that very textbook. Once we had a substantial fan base, it was mostly a matter of deciding when and how we'd pull it off. It had to be live, obviously. That was essential. So Eliza figured... A live broadcast for our first landmark episode. With a hot-button topic, the crime that inspired it all, the one everyone asks about, so we'll have as many listeners as possible. And our first crime will beget and facilitate our greatest crime. We've just been biding our time. The anticipation was just... Sublime. Oh, watching it come closer. I'm trembling a little. I'm so excited. Can you see? Eliza, how many people are listening to the live stream? Uh, 3,000 and rising steadily. <laughs> Word is getting out. Everyone wants to be here listening when it happens. They can't resist. Well, what do you think? Are you impressed? You can't get away with You're, this. Right, I forgot. Let's get, get him back on. The police must be on their way by now. They're probably almost oh, here. we know. It's part of the design. We open fire. The police gun us down. Suicide is spectacle. Cherry on top. Just think, Mark. You're part of a historic podcast. An unprecedented look into the mentality driving these crimes. True crime podcasts will talk about us for years. They'll write books. Maybe even a Netflix miniseries. Take solace, Mark. You'll be remembered. And you'll die taking this part in the thing you loved most. The door is locked, Mark. The key's here if you'd like to try and... Sit down, Mark. 
Come on! You're too far from the mic. Our listeners can't hear what you're saying, and the press will want to know your last words. You two think you're brilliant, but this isn't anything but pathetic. Like Leopold and Loeb. Maybe, but you remember their names, don't you? Can you remember their victim's name? It's like you said earlier, Mark. Something doesn't have to be morally sound to be conceptually brilliant. <laughs> Couldn't have put it better if I tried. You truly were the best person we could have picked for this. You brought a je ne sais quoi we never could have achieved without you. <laughs> I don't know. I probably can't stop you from killing me. That's right. Embrace it. But at the very least, I can spoil your game. He's, he's going to- Just stop him! That was The Medium is the Murder, written by Matthew Morris. You heard the voices of Matthew Morris, Helen Jacks, and me, Andrew Ferrier, and we had production help from James Lanius. You can find us online at thesnakespaw.com, and we're on Instagram and YouTube at thesnakespaw. And if you like what you hear, you can support this project at kofi.com slash thesnakespaw. Thanks for listening.